0: Week's time. Well of course we are continuing this month's series called Guardrails. Matthew back in week one did a great job. Rebecca did a great job uh, last week kind of bring out the kind of fleshing out the kind of points in this series. But really the heart behind this is very pastoral. It's very simply that the motive for why we're doing this series is because we don't want you to crash and burn. Yeah. We don't want your life to be a complete disaster. We want you to stay on, as we say in Ireland, the straight and narrow. Because narrow is not just narrow. Well say it with me, straight and narrow. 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 Okay? Narrow. We want you to stay on the straight and narrow. So what is a guardrail? Well a guardrail is a system that keeps us from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. Here's a photo exhibit A of what a guardrail looks like in Ireland. You are. Beautiful piece of architecture. All the engineers in the room right now are drooling. It's straight. It's measured consistently, what a piece. So, you, you know, Some people like like Van Gogh in the living room, engineers have pictures of guardrails all over their house and other uh, asymmetric things. Uh, and of course, the purpose of a guardrail on the road is to direct and protect us. Because if at night time you don't know which way the road goes, you can very often follow the median line, or you can follow the rail. Because chances are, if you're driving towards the guardrail, you're not going the right direction, friend. I don't know if you've passed your driving test recently. But not only do they protect us, but they also direct us. And here's an interesting fact about guardrails, no one thinks about. When you crash into a guardrail, usually the damage that's caused to you and your vehicle, when you crack into one, is minimised by the guardrail. They're developed in such a way that they minimise the damage caused to you and to your vehicle. This is very real. Here's a photo of a guardrail in County Wicklow. Now you don't know this guardrail, but it was quite famous a couple of years ago, because this is outside of Wicklow and very tragically a few years ago a couple drove off the ledge 20 foot down a ravine and lost their lives. And so the county council said, we need to do something about this. So they built a guardrail, and this corner is so dangerous that cars consistently kept crashing to the point where when they'd fixed it the day after someone had crashed, the next day. Three more cars crashed into the exact same guardrail. The difference is, after a car crashing, it being mended and three more cars crashing into it, no one lost their lives. And again, as we often say, or as it's been said in this series, and the guardrail, interestingly, is never really in the danger zone. It's not over the edge, right? It's in the safety zone. We have to sacrifice a little bit of road space, a little bit of of fun space... Because we know that this thing is doing us a favor. Here's the point. If you missed week one, week two, here's the point of what we're saying. Our lives, like our cars, need guardrails too. Come on. Your life, my life, our lives need Guardrails, especially if you're married, especially if you're single. If you're here and you're young and you're you're looking for a vision for your future, making plans about maybe just finish your leaving cert you're thinking about college and, and careers and, and who you're gonna marry one day. Understand that if you keep crashing into guardrails, if you keep ignoring the warnings, you know no one ruins their life and purpose. No one looks back and says, I did a great job destroying absolutely everything in my life. Most people start off with a dream, with a vision, with hopes in their hearts for a great future. It isn't that they wanted to destroy their lives. It's that they weren't paying attention to the warning signs. See, we need guardrails relationally. We need guardrails financially. We need guardrails emotionally. And part of the reason why I think church in Ireland is so important is because we need guardrails spiritually. We need help and support in all these Aries, I mean, think about, as you grow up in life, no one kind of gives you advice about how to do relationships well. Yet a huge part of our future is shaped by the friends that we keep, by the people that we give ourselves to. That's, why one, that's one of the reasons why we consistently, as a church, talk about relationships. Also financially. It's kind of like, you know, all of a sudden, you've your five euro pocket of money in secondary school, or maybe you weren't like me, maybe it was more than five euro. If it is, shut up. I had five euro. In fact, truly the old, I had no pocket money. I left home when I was 16, started working for myself. So there you go, okay? But the point is this you know, all of a sudden you 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 graduate, you you graduate uh, secondary school, you're in college, you have a job, and like where's the manual? Like, where's the advice book for how to do finances well, for how to save, for how to prepare, for how to plan emotion? I can go on and on and on. And of course, like the guys clarified last week, week one, the point of a guardrail is to light up our consciences. Before we hurt others and ourselves. Again, the guardrail isn't in the danger zone. It isn't, it isn't when they go over the cliff that You go, oh, look, a guardrail, like a safety net as we crash. No, no. It's in, the, it's in the safety zone, not in the danger zone, so that it helps us before we crash and burn. In the same way, relationally, financially, emotionally, and spiritually, the point of having these guardrails is that it speaks to us. It lights up. It's, it's like a if ever you ha, you've driven a car and you you have that reversing sensor. You know, beep, beep, beep. I have an unusual car because my reversing sensor is so loud. It's like, beep, beep. I mean, all the other cars stop around me. And recently I was driving, I rented the car, I was driving it, and I was pulling into this, this parking spot, and I was about to keep going because I couldn't hear the sensor. And all of a sudden, my conscience said, maybe this car doesn't have Parking sensors. Now is like, don't be daft. Every car has parking sensors. But as I got closer and closer and closer and closer, and then my boom, I realised this car didn't have parking sensors. So, kind of like having parking sensors, our conscience should say, beep, 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 beep Oh you fool, you dead So, guardrails. Are like a parking sensor for our conscience. Today in part three I want to talk to you about heart matters. I want to get right to the issue of the heart. In the book of Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, I'm actually reading Proverbs right now. It's the book I'm going through. I'm praying and soaping through it every single day. Soaping, in case you're wondering, is a metaphor. I do use soap every day. But soaping is a metaphor of journaling. And in verse 23 it says this. It says, above all. Now again, this book was written by king solomon who was the son of king david and many in antiquity would describe him as being the wisest man that ever lived okay solomon took over the kingdom of king david after king saul the kingdom reached the kingdom of israel reached its, its, its height in his kind of control and power he was very wealthy and very wise he, he actually wrote the entire book of Proverbs. And what he's trying to say to us in summary, those of us who want to learn from such wisdom, is that above all else, there's loads of great things in here about money and relationships and mental health and boundaries, how to deal with depression hurt, betrayal. I mean the book of Proverbs is packed full of wisdom. But above all this, above and beyond all else, he says guard your heart. Guard your heart why for everything you do flows from it Amen. guard your heart for everything you do you yeah, have like be wise with your money be wise with your friends be wise with how you deal with all these things but most importantly guard your heart because if your heart is sick I don't mean physically sick but it's, but the analogy works both ways if your heart is physically sick you're sick there's a lot of parts of your body that can be sick and you can function but when your heart stops working you're dead right is that one of the first things that first responders do when someone's passed out the check for a pulse because if there's no heartbeat if there's no pulse chances are you are dead emotionally spiritually there's truth in this too. if we don't guard our hearts if we allow things into our hearts if we allow our hearts to become cesspools of toxicity, then not only will we become sick, but we'll make those around us sick, and eventually something in our lives is going to die. Now, fast forward the clock a couple of uh, hundred years later, and Jesus comes on the scene. He picks up the exact same point in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15. And basically what happens here in context is, as often happened in Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus was surrounded by all these religious teachers, They're called Sadducees, Pharisees, Scribes, they're all all the kind of religious leaders of his time, Jewish religious leaders. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, they're trying to find a way to trap him so they can kill him. They did not like the message that he was bringing. It was contrary to what they're bringing. Ultimately, it was leading people into freedom, which, by the way, one of the reasons why we keep saying we are not a religious church. Is because religion by definition is all about control controlling people control controlling people and because jesus brought a message of freedom that broke the chains but the shackles of that control the religious leaders of the day were very frustrated with him so in verse one they kind of gather around him and they try to trick him out by asking him a question here's the question in verse two they they ask jesus why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders. They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now time out. Okay? Because some of you mothers are thinking, that's great advice. Like I tell my kids, especially got boys, I tell my kids to wash their hands all the time. But mothers understand we never have and we're fine. So we never gonna joke. Um, no go back to verse two. It isn't that he's saying we shouldn't wash our hands. There's something going on here because what they what they reference is not the old... They're not referencing their Bible, which was called the Torah, the Old Testament, the, the five first five books of law. They're referencing their tradition. They're saying, why do your disciples break the tradition of God? No. Of heaven? No. Of who? Of the elders. Of men. Uh, why do your disciples do things that are contrary to traditions that were made by men? And in essence, what's happening is... There was a tradition that before Jewish people ate their food, they would ceremonially, not, not necessarily antibacterially, they would ceremonially wash their hands. And this could be as ridiculous as to be going to a bowl and going, bless you God, and eat their dinner. Like, it could be done without any heart or intention. And so they're frustrated Jesus isn't following the tradition, and they think that by asking this question, they might trap Jesus. But let me tell you something. Jesus is God. You don't trap Jesus, you get trapped. And what happens next is what happens, I think it's hilarious personally, is what happens a lot of times. Whenever people question Jesus, trying to catch him out, Jesus often answers their question with a question. So in verse three, Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God? So you got traditions of elders, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? It's at this point, if we were all there, you can hear the Pharisees go, uh-oh. Because now the tables are inverted. They've quoted the tradition of men and washing hands ceremonially. But Jesus come back with, what I The commands of God in, in your religion, in that, in that belief system, are far more important than the tradition of the elders. And what you've done is you've elevated tradition over the command of God, which again is what religion is Religion... Uh, basically puts more value on adherence to laws than relationship with God. But the purpose of the commandments of God are, are for us to know him, to experience him, to walk with him, to live in peace and freedom. They aren't handcuffs to keep us locked down. They're guardrails to stop us from driving our lives off the cliff of life. And so he says, you elevate tradition over the commands of God. What was the tradition, uh, what was the command they were breaking? Well, verse 4. For God said, honor your father and your mother, but you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God. Now again, I have to break this down because there's a very specific cultural thing happening. Basically, one of the Ten Commandments says that if you honor your father and mother it will go well with you and you'll have, and you'll have, long life. you guys are not going to live very long in this place, you don't know it. Come on. it says honour your father and mother that it may go well and that you may have long life, it's a very well known commandment. And what happened was, was Jewish um, you know, leaders and scribes kind of applied that command in different ways. And one of the ways that it was applied was, and again this is talked about in the Old Testament, in the actual scripture is that when your parents who are elderly get to a point where they can no longer take care of themselves, brace yourself, because I'm gonna say next is not is not may not may not be very good news to you, they are your responsibility. Just like at one point when you couldn't take care of yourself and you were their responsibility, with time as the wheel of life turns over, when they can no longer take care of themselves, they're your responsibility. Now again I'm not saying that, you know, your parents waste their life and take advantage and everything. I'm not, I'm not going to get, that's a whole different sermon. In general, what we're saying is the system of how God created the world is that parents should love, protect, and care for their kids. As kids get old and parents become elderly, the kids should care for, protect, and love their parents. That's the way it should be, and of course, it isn't always that way. But what happened was, was there was this interesting problem where people were constantly being asked by family members and parents, for financial help to the point where they could no longer fulfill their duty to the temple. In other words, they were taking money that should be given to, to the temple and using it to help their family, thinking they're applying the command. Of course, the religious leaders weren't happy with this and thought, hey, we're losing money. So they brought in a an opt-out clause. They brought a break, in a break-free, break jail free card. Because they said, well, if you have a sum of money and you say, this is devoted to God, then what that means is is your family can't touch it so in essence it was a very sneaky super spiritual uh, overtly religious way of screwing over your family saying oh sorry mom I'd love to buy you bread so you'll die of starvation but this money here belongs to the Lord I'd love to help you but the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes have said it was devoted to God it's for him and I cannot give it to you now what Jesus says, he says, you guys are idiots, essentially. I inserted that, not him. Um, because you've missed the whole point. The whole point of God's wisdom, of God's commands, isn't to take advantage and hurt people, it's to protect and bless people. He says in verse six, they he said you, he said, Jesus says, You say they are not to honor. So you think that by separating this money for themselves, that's no big deal. But what Jesus is saying to them is actually, they're breaking that command. Because by doing so, they're not honouring their father or mother. Verse 6, therefore, he says, you nullify. What an accusation. You nullify. You you basically cancel out the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Then he concludes in verse 7 you hypocrites now i don't know in what emotion jesus said maybe it was like ah you hypocrites maybe it was like you hypocrites maybe it was like you're a bunch of hypocrites i don't know what the emotion was but the message has been received right it's like boom like we came to trap him with a question and all of a sudden dang it we're trapped you know what i'm saying it's like he's right and now we're in trouble and so at this point the pharisees sadducees and religious leaders start to withdraw themselves from the center of the crowd. And Jesus in verse 10, he calls the crowd close. He, he wants them to understand what has happened. Here's where we just here in. He says in verse 10, he called the crowd to him and he said, listen and understand. No, there's two things. You can listen, but you have to understand. You see, knowledge is knowing something. Understanding is knowing how something works. But wisdom is knowing how to apply something at the right moment in the right way. We all want to be right, right? So Jesus is saying, if you want to be wise, listen and understand. He makes it very simple, verse 11. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles. Again, they're like, okay, go again, I missed that. He's saying, listen, he's saying, your tradition tells you That if you eat certain things, if you don't wash your hands, it's a reference to what just happened. That therefore you are defiled, you are unclean, you are quote-unquote dirty. But Jesus said the heart of God's command isn't that you just follow rules and pretend to be good. It's that something in you, deep in you, needs to be transformed. Because as your heart is, so you are. Come on, you know this. You know that even though the sun may be shining, and even though the calendar is packed full of... Wonderful events and, and things happen. Maybe you're going to a brother's wedding, or you're going to on a holiday. Like when you're not well in here, you're not well. Yeah. Like all is well, but when you're not well here, you're not well here, and you're not well. Doesn't no matter how good things are on exterior. When your interior is falling apart, crumbling under the pressure wave of anxiety and fear and guilt and all these things, you're not well. And so Jesus trying to show these people. This of course. For us, like, okay, I get this, but for these first century Jews, this was revolutionary. It's like, what 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 goes into you doesn't make you... Because when you eat something, it grows through your stomach, and then it comes back out, right? Yeah. But what comes out of you? Well, where the heck does that come from? Where does that come from? Verse 17, he clarifies, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth, goes into the stomach, and then out of the body, verse 18... But things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. When you say something mean to someone you love, and you say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. Yes, you did. That's not how I... If you have to explain yourself out of hurting something verbally, understand you're wrong. Because your mouth has just given your heart away. That's very challenging. Because we think, no, I didn't really mean. Yes, you did. Now, maybe after the moment of emotion, you feel bad, you feel guilty, you realize, and and some truth comes to the surface. That's great. But it doesn't change the fact that bad words and mean things don't come out of a vacuum. They come out of somewhere. And Jesus, don't hate me, Jesus is saying, it comes out of your heart. When you say things that are hurtful to other people, especially those you love, it doesn't come out of a vacuum, it comes from your heart. And therefore, when things come out of our heart that hurt us and hurt others, it says, and Jesus, and these, these, I'm going to explain these second, these defile them. What are these? Verse 19? For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Now notice, he says evil thoughts, but that everything he lists is a verb, it's an action. From out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, action. Adultery, action sexual immorality, lots of action, test, action, false testimony, action, and slander, which means talking badly about people, especially when they're not there, action. At this point, everyone's going to go, on, I thought we were talking about washing our hands before dinner. I'm just going, yes, we were, but now we're taking it deeper. Because really what's happening here is if you don't, if you don't get a grip, if you don't understand, if you don't guard your heart, Then what flows from it won't be blessing and fidelity and honesty and integrity and honor and all the things you want to build your future on. Rather what will come out are these things. Verse 20. These, Jesus said, these are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So, in conclusion, what we say. We're saying... Jesus said, you don't have to wash your hands. So you can quote that one to your mother. Jesus said, come on, Matthew 15, verse 20, I don't have to wash my hands. Now, when you quote him, quote him accurately, what he said was, unwashed hands don't defile you, but they might mean your death at the hand of a loving mother. So I'm just saying, that's over to you to play with that one. But in essence, what he said, he said, hey, superficial games, I go to church. I read my Bible, I pray today, I give my tithe, I post the scripture on my IG account. Tick, 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 I'm good, now I'm going to do what I really want to do. The stuff that no one sees. The stuff that I've heard tell my parents about I'd be embarrassed. The stuff that I've heard, if it was to be broadcast on social media, I'd feel... I Jesus Jesus, basically says, cut the nonsense, it's not a game, God isn't looking for our our Uh, Empty-hearted participation. God's looking for relationship. He's looking for sincerity. He's looking for men and women who will love him with all their hearts. Now again, if you're here and you're not a Christ follower, you don't don't have to do that by all means. It's a free country. Do whatever you want to do. And still, if you stay with me today and listen, there's stuff in here that will help your life. It will be beneficial for you and those that love you. But if you're a Christ follower, God wants us to understand the heart of of his heart. The core of what he wants us, And God is not interested in superficial ceremonial Christianity. God wants our hearts to be well. Why? Because if our hearts are not well we hurt people. And here's the bottom line. If what harms people offends God and the behavior that harms people and offends God are sources of our heart. Now break it down. If what, if what comes out of us hurts people and because people matter to God therefore we offend God and the source of what comes out of us that hurts people offends God is our heart then, follow with me, then we need to guard our hearts. We need to think about what's coming out of this thing. Again, if you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't know where my heart is. I mean, how does one even begin to see? Like, like when you want to physically know how your heart is, you can do a, a pulse check. You can, if you have a fancy Apple iWatch, it will tell you everything. Uh, if you go get blood test, like, you can know what's happening in your heart Physically, by using different things. Well, spiritually speaking, one of the quickest ways to figure out what's happening in your heart, get ready for this, is to take stock of your behavior. Why? Because our behavior will eventually mirror our hearts. You can say, no, 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 my stinginess, it's a one off thing. I'm just having a bad day. Is it really? Or is your stinginess mirroring something in here? You can lose your temper and say some things to someone that you love, someone that maybe you committed yourself to protecting to death do your part, and say, "Listen, I just had a bad day." Is it really? Or is there something going on? Here? You see someone doing something you don't agree with, and before you know it, from your lips come judgment and shame and condemnation. And someone hears you and says, that's very judgmental. Oh, no, no, I didn't mean that. I just, I wasn't thinking. Yes, you were. If this wasn't engaged, this was. And from here comes this. Now, again, if you're not a Christ follower, and you've got no moral standard, then you can say whatever the heck you want, and we can't do anything about it. That's up to you. But if you're someone who says, I am a Jesus follower, then God is saying to us, what comes out of your mouth matters, and it isn't disconnected. Yes, and ticking ceremonial boxes, I went to church, the Bible, doesn't set you free from being accountable for what's going on in here. Amen. And regardless of whether you're a person of faith or not, the good news is, because the positive side of all this, thinking, oh thank God, the positive side of all this is if you want to get in control of what's coming out of here, where it's at work, where it's online, where it's in a comment box and some social media account, where it's with your friends, your spouse, your parents. If you want to change what comes off here, then deal, yeah. or more specifically allow God to deal with yeah. what's going on Amen. in here. Now we're going to focus on four specific emotions that if you store them in your heart, would become a staging ground for heart problems. So again, if you go to the doctor, you start got a heart problem, and they start you know doing whatever they're doing you. They won't find these things because they're spiritual. The first one is guilt. The second one is anger. The third one is greed, and the fourth one is jealousy. And again, we could. It's not exhaustive. We could do that more, but just four of the main ones. What does guilt say? Well, the heart of guilt says, "I owe you. I owe you an apology. I owe you an explanation. I." I did something that I shouldn't have done against you, and therefore I'm indebted to you, I owe you. Uh, guilt says, I did something you don't know about. And the problem with guilt is guilt, by definition, when we owe someone an explanation, an apology, we owe them honesty, and we don't give them that, then very often the, 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 um, if you want to call it the offence that we committed, which may have been something that we did against someone, then leads into deception which then leads into distance. Which then, if we're not careful, can lead to the death of that relationship. Whether it be a job, whether it be a friend, whether it be a spouse, or just a relationship with someone that we love in our family. Guilt if it's not dealt with, creates distance. Anger says, you owe me. I don't owe you anything, you owe me. You hurt me. You betrayed me. You let me down. You took something from me And you better pay me back or I'll pay you back. That's anger. And the thing about anger is anger isn't easily isolated. Anger leaks. Come on. It gets out. It leaks. It's never isolated to the relationship of origin. In other words, maybe it was a brother that made you angry. And you're angry at them. But but by definition, by being angry at them, you're also angry with your sister. And your mother. I'm your neighbor, I'm the dog, a little twitty flies in, God damn bird! What did a bird do? It's like anger leaks into all sorts of things. Greed says, well, I owe me. I mean, like, come on. I owe me. Greed, and again, we'll talk about this next week and next Sunday, the last message. Greed says, greed is the assumption, greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption the belief that everything that is, is for me, of me, and I am owed this. And fourth and finally, jealousy. And jealousy says, you know what? Life owes me. If you knew my story, if you knew where I came from, if you knew all the heartbreak, if you knew all the things, then you would see and you would agree with me. That in general, life owes me. Like somebody else got what I deserved. That was mine. That was my job. That was my moment. That was my future wife. That was that. I deserved that, but somebody else got it. And let's be honest, you don't like them because they don't like you. And so you justify. That at the end of the day, it's okay to be jealous. It's okay to have bad feelings. It's not. I'm not gonna act upon them. I'm gonna live with this perpetual sense of frustration because they did something to me because they liked me. Therefore, they've allowed me. Not to like them back. What happens is, one of the, and maybe you're still thinking, oh, yeah, okay, Jimmy, that sounds interesting, but like, that's not me. I'm not jealous of anyone. Let me ask you a question. Let's just do a quick jealousy test. Have you ever had someone in your, in your social circle who recently won, where it was a promotion, got a girlfriend, boyfriend, but it's something, had a breakthrough, and rather than celebrating them, you found yourself complaining about them? You see, when you find yourself celebrating the failure, of those around you, or you can't celebrate in their success. Something's happening in here. And there's a little bit of I deserve that. This was my turn. I've weighed so long. I remember years ago I worked as a, a footwear specialist. Great title. Basically I sold shoes. And yeah. and uh, if only the pay met the title would have been great. And and I worked really hard. The 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 operations manager said, Hey use some real potential as company, if you do A, B and C then that will lead to D, E and F, right? And I'm like, hey, I'm a goal, I'm a, you, you put a goal, that's the kind of guy, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best, so I went above and beyond, worked my tail off, I, went, I, went, I did A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K I mean, I totally smashed thing. and when it came time for promotion, not the ops manager, but the local store manager, just it took a dislike to me, because I think I was, I was actually threatening his job, because I was supposed to stop at D, but I went to Jay, and he was like an F in many ways. And anyway, um, and uh, and so when well, the time came for promotion, guess what happened? I didn't get promoted. Someone did. It was the guy that a week ago was supposed to have lost his job. The manager, in spite just to annoy me, and try to push me out of the company, basically promote the person who was so bad their job, which is very hard to lose a job, let's be honest. If you've lost your job, you know how bad you were at that job. I mean, it's rare. And so, and so this guy who didn't didn't want to live anymore was given an emotion. I have to walk into work and hear this news. And really I'm like getting ready to kill someone. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what, I'm gonna, you know, if I'm going to go to prison, this seems like a good time. You know what I'm saying? It's, there's certain moments of life that may be worth it. But the whole time, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. Like, what's, Who really is your provider? Who are you working for? Yeah, who, who do you want to affirm you? Man or God? Amen. Yeah. What about your future to be? Just, just settling for the best that this company has to offer you hmm. or for the extraordinary purpose that I have for you? Now I didn't know that sometime later God would call me out of the business to lead a church one day but I knew in that moment the Holy Spirit was doing a hard work on me. Yeah. The point is you may not think I struggle with jealousy but more often than not it creeps in there because we think we deserve something, someone else got so the question is what do we do with these four things? Well, there's four preventives I want to give you then we're gonna pray. Four heart preventives, four guardrails that we can use when it comes to these things. In in response to guilt, which says, I owe you. How do we overcome guilt? How do we solve? How do we how do we dissolve guilt from our heart? Well, the answer is confess. Now if you're sitting here and you're not a church person, and you think I mean you and I are going to go sit in little box and you're going to tell me everything, forget about it, okay? That's not going to happen. Unless you buy me a coffee, maybe. No, no, no. We're not going to do that, okay? It's not confessed to God. He already knows! It's not like, God, by the way, I did X. And God's like, you did what?! Oh my God, take my eye off for 60 seconds?! And you do what? I cannot believe it. Jesus, deal with this. I mean, God already knows. The confession to God is good for you. God already knows. But in this instance, how we break the the grip of guilt is we tell somebody. Now, yes, it can be a spiritual leader. Yes, it can be a connector or a pastor. That's great, and we're happy to do that. But bottom line, there isn't something super spiritual who you tell. It's the power of telling. Because so often what guilt does is it drags us into the shadows, into the dark places. And bad things happen there. And how we break the grip, the chain, the yoke, of that thing, is we drag it into the light. And we say, here's what I did. Here's what I said. Here's what I thought. And you think, man, why would I have do that? Because in the long run, you know, secrets suck the life out of you. The, pa- the momentary pain of bringing truth to light is far easier to deal with than the long-term agony of allowing a secret to drain you of your life. Your reputation, your marriage, your friendship may take a hit, but like guardrails, the damage is minimised. Who is it today that you need to tell the truth to? Maybe it's a text message, maybe it's a friend, or it's an action. What, to, what, what is God asking you? What is God prompting you to do today to get free from the guilt that holds you back? The second thing is anger. Where anger says you owe me, the guardrail is to forgive. Why? Because what drives anger is a sense of something has been taken from me. You've hurt me, you owe me, there's a debt to be paid. So when we identify exactly what has been taken and cancel that debt, we're able to forgive them. Now you may think, well hang on a second. You don't know what they've taken. I don't have to know because the principle is true. We've all been hurt in life. I know that may shock you, young person. We've all been hurt in life. Life sucks. Build a wall and get over it. And then guess what? 100 meters on the road, life sucks. Build a wall and get over it. And spend the next 80 years of your life building walls to get over them. It's part of the human story. I'm not minimizing someone's pain or someone's trauma. I'm just saying, as a human being, we get hurt in life. And if we allow that hurt to become bitterness and anger, and if we justify it because I'm a victim, I'm entitled to this anger, it doesn't destroy the people that hurt you. It destroys you. Yeah. And it destroys the people that you love. You say, well, if I cancel that, it, it feels like I'm letting them off. You are, but not for their sake, for your sake. And not only for your sake, but for the sake of those you love. Why? Because you're hurting the people closest to you because you won't forgive the person who's far away and hurt you. And 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 if we're not careful, this can destroy marriages. This can destroy homes because we're so caught up with the frustration, the bitterness and the anger of what has been taken. Listen, God can restore... Hello? God can redeem. God's a miracle-working powerful for God, but for God to restore something, we have to first give it to him. And as long as it's in our hands, as long as we're the ones that are angry, as long as we are judge and jury, God can't be. But we give it to God, and we truly forgive, Watch well, what God can do in your life. The answer to greed, then, is I owe me. So how do you solve that? Very simple, give. And right now we're going to collect an offering. I'm only joking. But giving, you know, we talk about giving. Giving is really important. And we encourage you to give your part of the church because someone's going to pay the bills around here. And if it's our church, it's our church. Hello? we don't want some other people paying our bills. We want to see what God has in store for us fully accomplished. So we're committed to giving to this church. We're also committed to being generous outside this place. But beyond all that, giving is just a good habit. I try to encourage my kids, when you're kind of stuck between should I give or not give, always give. Yes. Because the regret of having given is always a better regret than the regret of having not given. Yes. And when you've given, Edom has given foolishly and Edom has given hastily and has given away, God can always replenish the storehouse of the generous. But when you save it all for yourself, my precious, <laughs> that ring gets away from you again. Dang it. <laughs> God's not going to punish the ring. You know what I'm saying? You should have been generous. So I'd encourage you. Write some big to you checks. Just just bless you. Just wake up tomorrow morning. Go to the office and give some people 50 euro. Okay, don't call me accountable for that. But I'm just saying. Trust the Holy Spirit. Ask for wisdom. But give some of your precious stuff away. Like Break the grip of stuff over your life. Because what's really happening? When stuff has you... More than you have it, what's been revealed is that you think you're your provider. You are the one that earned and won this stuff. Don't put your trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Just start giving. As a habit, much of God does. And the fourth and final one is jealousy. When we feel like life owes me, let's acknowledge the real problem. What, what are we really saying? What, what's really at the heart of jealousy. Really? We're not mad at the person. We're not mad at life that he got the job and I didn't. We're not mad at the, co- what are we mad at? We're mad at God. Because we feel like if there is some just being in the world who is the standard of justice, then therefore that person is responsible to make sure just things happen just as they should. And when they don't, we feel hurt. So rather than saying, life owes me, what we're really saying is, God owes me. God owes me. I deserve this. And again, that's a whole message for a whole other day. But understand, even though we don't always get what we want in life, God is so faithful and God is a good father, he will make sure we always get what we need. Now, and I was thinking this this morning, um, next year will mark 20 years that I've been following Jesus. This is year 19. This week, my son celebrated his 15th birthday. He's right here. Myself and my wife, we celebrate our 17th wedding anniversary. Uh, yeah, come on. Well, well done to her, right? My, my work was easy. She had all the heavy lifting. Um, so well done to her by all means. And uh, But it also marks 19 years that I'm following Jesus. I was really sitting down thinking, man, when has God ever let me down? I've really tried hard. Never. And when has God ever not been faithful? Like I'm following long enough that he made some promises that if they didn't come true, I'd have a really good objective reference. And there's not. It's like everywhere I look in my family, I see God's faithfulness. Everywhere I look in our church, I see... I'm not saying there wasn't struggles. There were many, many struggles. But in every obstacle, in every difficult season that we went through, <coughs> God has been faithful. Now I may not have gotten all the things I wanted, and I could have allowed myself to fall into this entitlement trap, feeling like I deserve some things, and becoming angry at God when they didn't come true, or I could stop and give thanks. Because even though I didn't always get what I wanted, I've always had what I needed. You know, just this week, we were coming back from the States, and I was sitting down with the kids, and I was just processing the trip. It was always a great thing to do as parents, just going, what was your highlight, what was your highlight, what was your highlight, and one of the kids... We are just laughing because I had like $200 in my wallet. They are like, oh my gosh, so much money. And I was like, yep, I'm not going to tell you how much this trip costs. Joking. And he was like, well, how do we pay for this trip? And I sat there and actually went, you know what? I have no idea. Because if I start doing the maths on this trip, it's not going to make sense. Because when it came to leaving this country back in June to go find help to plant a church, it didn't make financial sense. But I went anyway. Why did I do that? Because for the last 20 years, that's how I've lived my life. God, where do you want me to be? Over there? Well, there's no way there. What's that? You promised to make a way? Okay. And every time I've stepped out in life, where it's stepping out in front of my friends and not compromising my Christianity, even though it's not cool to believe certain things, even though I didn't give in to peer pressure to partake in certain things, Whether it was stepping out to find money and plant a church, or just being my friends, every time I stepped out in faith and trusted God, he was always there for me. Let me tell you something. Me and God, we don't have something special going. Every one of us, every single one of us in the person of Christ have that promise. We don't have to be jealous or bitter or angry or greedy or guilt-ridden. Because Jesus Christ gave his life so that we can come close to God. God takes what happens to us and makes things happen if we receive what comes away, good or bad, as coming from his hand. So, in conclusion, then guilt, anger, greed, jealousy, what's the solution? Confess, forgive, give, and when it comes to jealousy, celebrate. <coughs> give thanks what you have. Celebrate what God has given you and celebrate out loud the success. Of others, so confess, forgive, give, and celebrate. Boom! Give anger, greed, jealousy. You are not my master.